Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number four of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and I've got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to go all over the sports map, beginning with our opening tip, which is going to let you catch up on what's been happening at the All England Club over the first week in Wimbledon. Later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Martino Puccio, the host of the Soccer Showdown on Fantasy Sports Network, to recap the World Cup, which has been an awesome tournament so far. I also am putting some deep thought into how it fixed the New York Mets, and after a long couple of weeks of brainstorming, I think I might have an answer. I'll share my vision with you in the seventh inning stretch, and don't forget to stick around till the end of our show for the two-minute drill, where I'll have some thoughts on the MLB All-Star Game rosters. We'll get it all rolling with our opening tip, which is coming up right after this. Y'all ready for this? Welcome back to our opening tip, where we talk all about Wimbledon. Today is Manic Monday when we're recording, where Wimbledon plays all 16 of its fourth-round matches for the men and women in one day. It sets the stage for a fantastic finish, and this tournament has been wild. The women's side, which I told you last week, has been wide open. It's been even more wide open than I thought. Top seed Simona Halep went out in the third round of the tournament. Number two seed Caroline Wozniacki, she, she went out in the second round to Ekaterina Makarova. How about the third seed, defending champion Garbine Muguruza? She went out in the second, too. Venus Williams, gone round three. Madison Keys, also gone round three. Maria, Shara, Maria Sharapova, excuse me, didn't even get out of the first round. As a matter of fact, there are no top ten seeds left on the women's side for the first time ever. Think about that. No top ten seeds in the final eight of Wimbledon. That doesn't have a lot going for on the women's side. But it does leave a clear path to the title for Serena Williams. Williams has won 18 straight matches at Wimbledon dating back to 2015. She hasn't dropped a set this year and won't face another seeded player until at least the semifinals. The biggest opposition for her is probably on the other side of the draw with Angelique Kerber, who was the runner-up at Wimbledon two years ago as the power game to give Serena trouble if she's off just a little bit. But Serena has looked good so far and has given me no reason to back off her as my winner pick. The men's side has been a bit more straightforward, but we still have a shot at another epic showdown between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal at the Wimbledon final. The two played, in my opinion, the greatest match of all time in the 2008 final. But would you believe they haven't met at Wimbledon since? Really, they have not met at Wimbledon since. The two best players of the generation haven't played at the world's greatest tournament in a decade. As a matter of fact, they've only met at Slam five times since that showdown in 2008, before those coming in Australia. I don't know about you, but I haven't been getting up at 3 in the morning to watch Federer and Nadal play, so we've only seen them one time in a Grand Slam since then. That might change this year, when we are long overdue for a rematch. Federer's path to the finals is clearly easier as the top of the draw has opened up for him. There aren't a lot of guys in Rogers' half who can even push him on grass. Other than Milos Raonic in the semis, there isn't a player in the top half who has had any level of success at Wimbledon. His next opponent, Kevin Anderson, has never beaten Federer anywhere, let alone on grass. Good for American John Isner, the last American man left, getting through the corner of the slam for the first time since 2011. The problem is, Isner's game isn't cut out for a run too much deeper on grass. He's too tall, he serves very hard, which is great, but he doesn't have the return game to match up with a good player on grass like Roger. Roundage, he's got a shot at it, but it looks good for Roger to get to the finals. Nadal, on the other hand, he's looked great. I'm not kidding you, he's been great the entire tournament. But he has a brutal path ahead of him. There are a lot of dangerous players in the bottom half of the draw. Rafa got by Jiri Vesely without much trouble today. Look at this path he could run into. A quarterfinal matchup with fifth seed Juan Martín del Potro, who has won a slam before and was a semifinalist at Wimbledon back in 2013. 
Del Potro's match is the only one that didn't finish today. They're, they're starting up again tomorrow. Del Potro up two sets to one. But, I mean, he can give the doll a lot of trouble. If he gets by Del Potro, the doll goes to the semis and takes on Novak Djokovic. Djokovic has won this tournament three times. He beat Rafa in the 2011 final. Think about that. He's got to go through both Juan Martin Del Potro and Novak Djokovic just to get to Roger Federer. The doll's playing very well right now, so he should be able to get by the gauntlet that weighs ahead of him. Del Potro not being able to finish today is a huge advantage for, for him since he's got to, have to, he's got to play tomorrow and will have less rest than the doll will. Djokovic is still rounding into form after missing a long time with that wrist injury. And, I mean, he's looked good, but he's still just a bit off. And that just a bit is going to be enough for Nadal to get by him. However, it, it's going to be a lot for him to top Federer on his favorite surface. Don't forget that Roger is well-rested after skipping the clay court season. Rafa played the entire clay court swing, capped off with a French Open title before diving into Wimbledon. That wear and tear may cost Nadal a shot in another Wimbledon title. Either way, keep an eye on the matches this week on ESPN. It'll be great theater. Stay tuned for World Cup talk right after this. And we're back with some World Cup talk. The World Cup has been wild this year with a ton of upsets and drama, but now we get down to our final four teams. Before the semifinals kick off, we're going to talk a little soccer with the host of the soccer showdown on Fantasy Sports Network, Martino Puccio. Martino, how are you doing today? Great, Mike. How are you? It's uh, right in the middle of the World Cup, towards the end of the World Cup right now, so super excited. Yeah, we're recording today on Monday, which is the day before the semifinals kick off. Before we dive in, can you tell me a little bit about your background with the sport of soccer? Oh, sure. Okay, so my family is from Italy, not one of the, like, I'm, I'm technically, you could say, I'm first generation. My mother was born in Rome. She came here when she was seven, eight years old, and her father is a very um, huge Roma fan um, in Serie A in Italy. And ever since, well, even today, today's the anniversary of Italy winning the World Cup 12 years ago. I remember so that. that. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was one of the better finals um, in recent mem- memory. Um, but just falling in love with that, that game and just the aura of the fans and everything. But even before that, just going to his house on Sundays, watching the games on the Italian channel. By the way, they just got HD. Yeah. It is 2018 day. Finally, the Italian channel called Rai just got HD over here. Which that's a so huge that deal. Ju- yeah, I know, big deal, right? 2018, you just get HD. Other places have 3D. Um, but yeah, it, it was a culmination of that, and then watching my favorite team, AC Milan. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, just just half of it is just based on that, and just the pure passion and everything involved in it uh, just really made me fall in love with it. Yeah, I mean, I could see you're very much into it. When I came into this tournament, I was a bit different. I looked at mm-hmm. it kind of the way I kind of look at the NCAA March Madness. Sure. I have the small school team, which is my alma mater, Iona, and if they're in, I'll root for them, but I don't expect them to win. Mm-hmm. I also root for a, a big team a big, in, in college basketball is Michigan State. In the World Cup, right, usually, right. usually Italy because I'm three-quarters Italian. Okay. They're both not in it this year, so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm beginning of not watching much. I watched some mm-hmm. of these big-name matches, but you know what? It drew me in. It's just been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I think I think I think that's one of the more unique things about this World Cup is that there's no America, there's no Italy in it, um, even the Netherlands and Chile, uh, other other big big name countries, too, that just didn't make it. And they're still doing great viewership wise. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but the final eight of the NBA viewership um, and the World Cup, it was just off by point four million and. The games are airing at like 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 a.m. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, depending yeah. on where you are, time yeah. zone wise, and 
and the NBA's prime time, and it's rivaling, rivaling, uh, rivaling that. That's pretty and, good, and it, I think I think it's fantastic, and it speaks volumes as to how much it keeps growing in this country. Yeah, I mean, this tournament's just been crazy. I mean, think about some of these things. Germany gets doesn't get out of the group for the first time mm-hmm. since 1938. Only the fifth World Cup with a all European final four: France, mm-hmm. Belgium, England, and Croatia, and the first World Cup ever without either Germany, Brazil, or Argentina in the semis, which is just ridiculous. Again, speaks to the dominance. I think I think it's really interesting to see on how much other countries around the world are slowly catching up and some of the other countries like germany brazil they're not as great as they used to be they don't have that kind of talent same thing with argentina but it's it's really cool to see countries like croatia and belgium um and even england again because england doesn't really have a history of winning like that last time they won was 1966 so we're talking half a century ago so i mean it's it's really it's really been a great world cup no complaints yeah, I mean, there's a lot of big stuff going on. What's in your biggest storyline so far to watch in the World Cup? Biggest storyline to watch so far in the World Cup? I think I think Russia was a great storyline. But to me, we just film, uh, finished filming um, one of the Soccer Showdown episodes for the previews of the semifinals. But England, I think England probably has the best storyline simply because this is a country who invented the sports. And historically, with almost any sport that you invent, the, the native country dominates in that, and that hasn't been the case with England. You know, like USA, they'll will dominate. I mean, we win in baseball. We have great players. Basketball, yeah. it's obviously no contest. I mean, football is a little different, but still, at the same time, I there's no other country that even comes close. But for the fact that England is here, first time their first semifinal since 1990, and they could get a chance to win their first World Cup in since 1966. I think that, to me, is the best storyline. Uh, if you follow any of it on social media, they had this song called It's Coming Home, meaning the game of football, soccer, is coming home to England, and they kind of been riding that out, and they have a great cast of characters on the team that are very talented players, but they're also very likable. And, and for the fact that they're probably... They're probably the underdog in out of the last four teams. I mean, it's them and Croatia, the two of the the two of the weaker teams out of the four left. But I just I just love the whole aura about them and and just how how well they've been able to kind of exercise their penalty demons as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up England because this is the Just End the Suffering podcast, and I they are my adopted team for the for the World Cup. It's because they their fans have suffered so much over the mm-hmm. years. I mean, they've had heartbreak after heartbreak oh, yeah. in the penalties. Like they've blown games I've seen ways I can't imagine. Unless you're a Met fan, you can relate to that. Oh, I mean, yeah, like yeah. White's been things been different with this group as opposed to like some of these more talented groups in the past that just couldn't get out of the uh, group stages or get past the quarters. I I think it's a mentality thing and learning from their mistakes. Gareth Southgate was on um, some of the teams that have lost in penalties, and yeah. he's, a, he's the manager for England. And um, he had a different mentality and approach to the way that England should take their penalties. Uh, uh, for example, like Jimmy Valvano. Whenever, if you ever watched the do- documentary on the NC State uh, National Championship team that upset Houston, they have this ritual where they go and practice, and they practice cutting down the net yeah. and simulating winning and just thinking about winning all the time. What he did with this team is he made sure they practice penalty walks, walking up to the spot, taking, really taking, interesting. taking your shot, and making sure you, you don't think too much about it. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's a different generation when, like, even the Chicago Cubs, too. Like, when they, don't underst- they didn't understand the pressure in 2016, really, to a full extent on how big of a deal it is or how difficult it is to get to the playoffs and win a World Series. They don't really understand – 
the magnitude of getting to a semifinals as England or even potentially winning the World Cup because these are a bunch of young guys. Harry Kane is the captain for this team. He's not even 28 years old, and he's just been absolutely unreal this tournament. They have a bunch of other young guys, and even Jordan Pickford, the goalie. Goalkeeper's always been a bugaboo for England. I mean, we saw it with Robert Green against England, uh, USA. Um, even in 2002 when they played Brazil, they had slip-ups there. So I, I think the fact that they've been able to exercise their demons and just kind of go out there and play their game uh, has been great for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, they have a great shot to get to that final. They're playing against Croatia, who I admit I have not seen much of in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw a little bit of their game against Russia in the second half. I couldn't believe that they almost lost that game because Russia had that big comeback in the end. What can you tell me about Croatia and, like, are they a bigger threat to get to the end than England? Well, Croatia could be such a big threat. Um, they kind of they kind of been lackluster in the knockout stages. I think they were one of the three best teams in the group stage. They absolutely dominated everyone they played, including Argentina. That was really the eye opener. But they have some of the best midfielders in the world: Luka Modric, Ivan Rakitic. I mean, even Mario Mandzukic up top, their their forward, who who has such an incredible work rate, makes things so difficult for the opponents all the time. And they're just so fundamentally sound all around. And they know how to, like, grind out results. Like, I, they, they, they've gone extra time twice already. So 120 min, uh, 240 minutes over two games is a lot. And it can be tiring. But the fact that there's, they've been so battle-tested and they have guys playing on the best clubs in the world, like Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're, the moment's not too big for them. And I think that kind of factored in as to why they've won their penalty shootouts the past two go-rounds. Yeah, I mean, let's go to the other team that hasn't really been here before. It's Belgium. A lot of U.S. fans remember them as the team that knocked the U.S. out in 2014. Tim Howard put the U.S. on his back that game. Otherwise, the game would have been lost 3 nothing in regulation. Now they're back. They're, they've gotten past. Uh, they, they knocked Brazil out over the weekend. Now they're in the semis. What can you tell me about the golden generation? Do you think they can get by France and uh, host the cup for the first they, time? They certainly have a chance. And and I, I'm, I'm personally happy that there's more parity. In this World Cup, I mean, you mentioned it earlier with the statistics about those uh, powerhouses not being in the semifinals. I think I love to see a team like this that has so many talented players like Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, Romelu Lukaku, and Thibaut Courtois is an amazing goalkeeper. And, yeah, his and save sh- the other day was amazing. He, I think he won that game for them. I, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, because they did not play that great in that second half. And, and the door was definitely wide open for Brazil to come back in that. And, I mean, credit credit to Belgium for not giving up those goals as well. They, they were bending. They didn't break um, like a lot of great defenses do. Um, I, I just think they really have a good shot at this because they have so much talent. And Roberto Martinez, with the way he's been able to get them to play together as a team and, and really exercise their demons. Again, I know this is a common narrative and theme I've been talking about. But for them to come back in that game against Japan, they've been, they've been fantastic ever since. And, and you know what? I think, I think they're going in really well with a great mentality uh, against uh, France. Yeah, France is going to be, I think, the favorite at this point. I think everyone agrees about that. And I yes. think the big reason why is uh, Kylian Mbappe, who's been the breakout star of this tournament. He had a huge game against Argentina. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, I have a great – I have to find my note on this because I found this online. I was just amazed by this. Apparently, okay. the, Mbappe is the first team to score multiple yep. goals in the knockout stage of a World Cup since, yeah, P- since Pelé. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. 1958, I believe. Right? Yeah, that's a long time ago. Like, oh, yeah, it is. 60 <laughs> yeah. years ago. What can you tell you about him from like his experience? Like I, I've only seen him in these World Cup games. Mm-hmm. Like, where is he playing? Like club wise, like how? Club, yeah. Well, so club wise, he plays for PSG. Yep. He transferred same summer as Neymar. They, I think he was not even. He was just almost as big of a move. Yeah. He's over almost two hundred million euros. Um, 
I think he was, I think he was rivaling like 200 million American dollars. Um, that's how expensive he was. But he started out, he really broke out in Monaco. Monaco is another team in the French league, and they went all the way to the Champions League semifinals. And everyone was like, "Who the hell is this kid? 17, 18 years old. It's it's really unheard of." Um, there's a lot of great teenagers that play in this sport, but for him to be at this level on the biggest stage, scoring two goals like that, first guy since Pele to do it. Um, I, for me, he's been the best teenager I've seen, um, not just in not just in this sport uh, since Messi, but in general, probably since LeBron. Maybe I don't think I've really seen someone so not afraid of the moment. Just as good as anyone else out there, and he recognizes that. Even compared to, like, a, say, like a Bryce Harper who came up in like a night as a nineteen-year-old, better, really, better than Bryce Harper. Yes, better. Probably, I mean, Mike Mike Trout came up when he was like nineteen. I want to say, yeah, he's right? like nineteen or twenty. He came nineteen up. or twenty. I mean, he struggled a little bit when he first came up in that his first cup of coffee um, towards the end of the season, but then he busted out in his first full season. Killian is there, there's a different there's levels to a lot of things, right? And and the greatness and the stage like well we can compare this to a postseason in baseball because that's kind of what international level is for him to just raise his game like this is it it's not unprecedented because Pele did it but in this day and age it is I mean it's unprecedented for his generation we've seen so many oh he's the next golden boy of this generation we've we've heard it from Neymar and Neymar had a pretty good tournament all things considered but He's playing for France. France is France is a really they, they're a powerhouse. They might have one World Cup, but they consistently they're there. In, they're there almost every tournament. Um, the past twenty somewhat years. I mean, they won the Euros in two thousand. They were in the final in 06. They were just in the final for the Euros two years ago. Yeah. And this is just a complete team with a game changer up top in Killian. So I mean, we'll we'll keep on seeing what he's made out of because this is, each game after this is bigger than the one prior. It's funny because it's one star rising in Mbappe. We have arguably the end of two big ones as mm. both Messi and Ronaldo go out on the same day in the, in the knockout round. Like, do you think we're going to see more of them in the future? Or you think this is their last World Cup being like the focus of their teams? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they're going to have their domestic competition. Uh, I'm sorry, not domestic. The well, technically domestic for Euros and Copa America. Copa America will be next year. Those for all the South American common ball teams. Um, that'll probably be the last time we really see Messi um, at his peak on the national team in a major tournament. Same thing for Cristiano in um, 2020 when uh, the Euros. Euro is going to be all yeah. over the place. It's like 12 different countries, yeah. I believe. Um, yeah, because the next World Cup is going to be in 22. I know that's another four years, but it's not just another four years. It's going to be in December because yeah. it's in Qatar. So another four and a half years, Cristiano's going to be pushing 38. Messi's going to be, uh, I think, 36 or 35, mid to late 30s. It's a lot of mileage on their legs, you know. They've been playing since they're 16, 17 years old. Um, I know all the advancements and and medical stuff and conditioning and all that, but I think that might have been it. What yeah. we just saw. Yeah, you think there might even be a spot where they come back and like you know like come off the bench and could substitute for these teams, or you think they're just not gonna be there at all? They could. Um, it really just depends on how things shape up. I mean, four four and a half years is a really long time. It'll be right in the middle of their actual seasons too for the clubs. So we'll really see where they are. We have no idea where Cristiano would be. He could. He might be over here in America. Messi might just be retired in general because I, I'm not. I don't really see him playing for another club. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's certainly possible because I mean we're seeing. I mean, even at their age right now, with what they're doing, it's no one's ever done that before. And and the fact that they play so many games, so many minutes, and then they just keep on producing results. I could see it happening, but the likelihood likelihood of that is not high.
All right, before we move on, give me your picks for the semifinals and who you think is actually going to hoist the World Cup. Okay, so I we had um, the previews just before, so I'm going to stick with the ones I just made. Um, I actually have England beating Croatia. All right. I have, them, I have them going to the final. I really like the vibe around this team. I think Croatia is just going to be a little too tired from the amount of minutes they've played over um, the past few games, and England's really got a great mentality going in. Um, and then I got France over Belgium. I think that one's going to be a fantastic game. I think no matter what, whoever wins that game is going to win the whole thing. But I just really like the way France is right now. I think I think they have a slight edge over Belgium because Belgium had the advantage over Brazil in the midfield, but Casemiro wasn't playing, who plays for Real Madrid. So that was a big loss for Brazil. And France's midfield, but Conte, Paul Pogba, they've just been so fantastic, and they're so good. And their, their forward play up top with Mbappe, as just mentioned, I like them going on and uh, winning that. And like I just said, I have them winning the whole World Cup. So France over England. France gets their second. I would tie them with Uruguay and Argentina. Okay, I mean, I, I'm no expert or anything, but I'm just gonna mm-hmm. I'm just gonna pick England to win just because I okay. want suffering to end. I feel bad for this. I feel bad for their fans. Do, go with their, I yeah. I feel bad for them too. It's a little bit of a conflict of interest because you know, like America and Italy are may, primarily their uh, some rivals. of their rivals. But but you know, I mean, I wouldn't entirely hate England winning because it's really cool to see it. I mean, we've seen it over the past few years. Eagles winning the Super Bowl. The we had that. The Cubbies. Astros. Um, Astros. I mean, you name it. There's been a, there's been a bunch of teams and stuff. I mean, you could even go back to Villanova, too. Yeah. They didn't win for a while. It was uh, it was yeah. pushing three decades at that point. So, yeah. Hey, you want to stick around and talk some baseball? Of course. All right. Stick around. Martino Pucci and I are going to talk some Mets baseball in the seventh inning stretch coming up right after this. I'm back with Martina Puccia. We're debuting a new segment of the podcast they call the seventh inning stretch. You want to know what that's about? Yeah. Give me give me this. I'm interested uh, in this. Okay. Anything Metsies. Okay. This is the seventh inning stretch. We're going to give you seven thoughts on something in the sports world. Today, specifically concerns the New York Mets. Specifically, John Ricco made statements over the weekend about how the Mets will look to rebuild quickly without trading Jacob deGrom or Noah Syndergaard. Now, I mean, we're recording in the middle of their double hire today. They're already losing 2-1, so this mm-hmm. would be put them 17 under 500 if they drop it. Probably be 18 tonight when Corey Oswald right. gets, gets beat by Aaron Nola. Do they go to, like, 3-21 and 21 their last, like, 24 home games or something like that, right? Yeah, it's something ridiculous like that. There is a, there is a burial ground under there, but Ingo is right. Oh, my God. Yeah, get, <laughs> get to your points. Okay. A lot of the beat writers over the weekend wondered how it would be possible to do a rebuild so you can win in 2019 without parting with one of the stud pitchers in order to get the kind of impact young talent back that you, that's really, 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 really neat. They don't have enough of it. You agree? Uh, yeah. You know, I did, it's not even – you don't even have to ask if I agree. It's yeah. a statement at this point. You're right. Okay. So I'm up sitting over the weekend. I think – I'm. I, I, how about your mother's spirit going on? In the uh, spirit of Barney Stinson, I go, challenge accepted. I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to fix this. So I have a seven-point plan about how we're going to rebuild the Mets without trading Jake or Noah. You ready for it? Okay. All right. Step number one, you're going to trade all of your pending free agents. Zach Wheeler – not Zach Wheeler, actually. All your friends. This is the Familia, Cabrera, Blevins, Mesoraco, Bautista. Get whatever you can for them. Mm-hmm. I also include Zach Wheeler and Wilmer Flores in that in that part of the guys you have so to ship out. So similar to last summer. Yes, except they're not just trading guys, but also the two things that are important here. Number one, 
you have to eat the money to get the better prospects. Mm. This what they did last summer. I'm not if you're a big SpongeBob guy. I remember there was an episode where Mr. Krabs was challenged by the Flying Dutchman. He said, "Okay, you can have SpongeBob. You have to change my pocket." And he pulled out. He's like, "How much is the lock in my?" Krabs po-? is like, "Okay, how much money is in your pocket?" He goes, "62 cents." Sons is, "I'll take the money." And he's like, "And that's basically how the Mets traded the day last year. They took the money and took back a bunch of minor league relievers. They did nothing for them." Mm. I think you need to get like as many chips as possible because even if like they're not going to play for you, you can use them to trade for other guys. Agreed? No, of course. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I mean that's almost any time. It's it's we see it all the time with the Patriots. They just get a bunch of draft picks. It, 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 uh, the analogy I always hear is like a lotto ticket. Yeah. Even if you do get a great prospect, there is no chance that they're going to end up being great. I mean, Rosario is a perfect example at this point. We know how heralded he was coming out, and we've seen this story before. There's Lastings Millage, there's Fernando Martinez, Mike Pelfrey, whoever the hell you want to name. There's Enough been so many guys, so many Generation busts. K, if you even want to keep going further back. Um, yeah, no, I'm sick of it. You got you to gotta get guys in your minor league system, and it's and it's not even just getting the guys there. The development has to be better, too, but I'm sure that might be part yeah. of your... Yeah, it's actually my next point. Number two is like, number two, we are going to play the young guys in the second half Mm. and get them actual at bats and play them all the time. I wrote about this on my Mm. blog over over the week. I mean, like, I mean, today drove me crazy. I don't know if you how much of this you were aware of, but before the game, Todd Frazier went on the DL. Yes. So the Mets' brilliant response was, "We're gonna play Jose Reyes at third base today." Even though you had like a lot of them, a lot of the Mets fans were flipping out, like, "Where's Jeff McNeil? We could play Jeff McNeil." And their response was, "He's a second baseman." Doesn't stop him from playing Don Smith in left field. Oh, what position did Jose play all of his career? Shortstop. I mean, they're they are so ridiculously incompetent, and and it's really it's really insulting. It's one thing the Mets do, I think, better than any other organization is I think they constantly insult their fan base's intelligence. Like none of us are stupid. Starting Jose Reyes at third base is the most useless and dead end choice they could have made like yeah. what is jose reyes at this point in his career switching to third base going to do for this franchise not even just third i mean in fact he's played like the, he, 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 that he's on the roster you're right that, that he's even around i mean even that i mean you can if you sit on the bench that's one thing but i mean he started five of the last team like 13 games at shortstop too like what's that doing for rosario he's not he's got to play and well even even what they released on dom smith saying that he's primarily a bench player right now why is he here why is he on the roster this guy is supposed to be learning to try and get better. It's the same thing that they did with Conforto originally when he came up with the lefties. Yeah. They weren't – he's like, Michael can't hit lefties. Well, how's Michael going to learn to hit lefties if you don't play him against them? It's like, how are these guys supposed to learn how to play the game if you don't play them? Yeah, Lucas Duda was the same thing too. They wouldn't play him against lefties like three years. But yeah, I mean – and then he and then he ended up doing pretty decent against them at one point, if I'm not correct, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. Conforto did too once he actually got yeah. to play. Yeah, once he actually got to play. And I think I think it was another thing they were doing with Nimmo as well, right? Yeah, Nimmo was – I mean, we got sent to AAA at one point this year because they had too many outfielders. They want to play him. And to me, that is interesting because you could have pointed to Terry, Terry Collins for Mets. that. Yeah, it's a lot of the Mets. For, for, for the lefties matchup and not wanting to play lefty versus lefty. Now but we have, there's a new manager now. Yeah, they're doing And the same. that's still the same issue. So to me, that's coming from higher up. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure. But they need to get over this thing about how the lefties can't play against lefties. Like, the guy's got to guys only learn how to play by playing. So Don Smith needs at bats. Rosario needs at bats. Jeff McNeil needs at bats when he gets up here eventually. You also got to make sure that you're playing like these guys and make sure that they actually get the time and the reps that I can see. Mm-hmm. Like, 
hey, can we? Do we know if Don? If you're walking out of this year saying, do we know if Don Smith is a big league or not? You failed. That's my opinion. No, that's fair. I mean, we're we're in July, and the guy the guy's oversleeping his alarm during spring training, so he's really been one of the bigger busts at this point. Okay, step three. Enough of the Jake and Noah garbage. You're signing both of them to long-term contract extensions. Because you were, if you want to build around them, you're keeping them here. You're not going to let them run into free agency and let somebody give them $250 million so they can leave. You just lock them up, not to worry about it, get cost certainty, and just forget about it and sell, tell your fans, you know what, we are building around these guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that, especially if they're on the record saying that they don't want to trade these guys. I know they're listening for offers more on Syndergaard, but – if you don't have any interest in trading Jake, he should have been signed already. His contract, I have never seen, and the, and this is saying a lot, I have never seen a player for any of my teams that I play for had deserved a contract so much more than anyone else by far on his team. Jake should, should have been locked up for five years, almost pushing $200 million. Not pushing $200 million, Like, give him five for 160 or, yeah. or 170 It should be in that area. He's been that good. He's been that dominant. So, yes, I do agree with extending them. Yeah, because, I mean, Jake's been the most underappreciated player on this team for a while because first, Met fans were loving Matt Harvey. He might be the most underappreciated Met ever. Yeah, and, and I truly, I, I really mean that. Yeah, I mean, Syndergaard was there, too. I think it's, I think DeGrom might actually be out there with Beltron in terms of underappreciated Mets. Oh, well, yeah, Car- I mean, because well, we all know what Carlos, Carlos got a lot of crap just because he didn't swing on a 3-2 curveball that was one of the better curveballs that could possibly be thrown meanwhile the Mets wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for Carlos Beltran anyways yeah he was the only guy who was ever clutch on that team too like Reyes was bad in the clutch all those years Wright didn't get good in the clutch until like well after those those years he won game one in that NLCS that year against the Cardinals he had that he hit that home run that put him ahead to seal the game one victory I mean, it's not. It's also not Beltran's fault that Tom Glavin throws a stinker up in the finale of this 2007 season. I mean, I mean, when you depend on John Main and Oliver Perez to try and get you to the playoffs, then you kind of deserve to be in the position you're in. It's funny because if you look at that, you me- you measure you put the 26 2006 offense of the 2017 pitching staff. This team would actually beat 2018. Well, well 2018, 2017 was bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I kind of blocked that year out for a little bit. I, I block out a lot of years, Mike. So next point. <laughs> all right, next point. This is the point that is probably that we're almost we know it's not going to happen because the ownership is too cheap to do it. But you go sign Manny Machado, whatever it takes. <laughs> you give him ten years, give him three hundred fifty million, get him in here because the Mannies, I, man. Yeah, because think about because they're going to hide behind you know, Joanna Cespedes didn't work out for us. David Wright's contract didn't work out for us. Pedro's Jason contract, Bay, Pedro yeah. didn't work out for us. But you know what? How often are 25-year-old impact players getting to the free agent market? Not very often. Never. And you can stick him right shortstop. In a position of need. A po- position of need. A position of need. Somewhere that he can fit in, be the anchor of your line for the next 10 years. And where you're not stuck relying on Cespedes' health forever. And you know what? He would be the chase face of that franchise. And they need somebody like that. He would be the best position player since Beltran. I could go even further back. I could say best since Piazza. Fine. You think? Yeah. You think? You think? Yeah. Well, Manny's not even in his prime yet. Yeah, Manny, Manny's twenty-five so, right now. So yeah, I know. I mean, that's not that. That's not ri- that ridiculous in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, I would drop the money in a heartbeat. But but also, I, I don't know if you just mentioned it, but they could also play the card like, oh, we still need to pay Jake and Noah, so we're not gonna throw out that money. <laughs> like it's it's just one of those things that he's one of those free agents that are like, oh, this is a perfect free agent that should be here. He wouldn't be a bust at all. Everyone knows it. But you also know that there is no chance they're going to sign him because he's going to command north of $200 million. 
north of 300, I think, considering his age and the fact he can play shortstop. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to go in that area because if Stanton got 275, I mean, that's the argument yeah. they're going to be starting off with, right? Yeah, they're going to start there. And also, I mean, you look at their books. They have, like, if you look at their books and look on – I always love Cots contracts because it's my favorite resource to go for this stuff. Mm. After 2020, they have $0 on their books long term. <laughs> no, like, nobody signed They don't care. Them. They no. don't care. There's no plan. They, yeah. don't, they do not that's, care. That's why we're doing this. We're giving them the plan. Yeah, well, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So next step. This is actually an interesting step. This is Bill Dalton Machado signing. Okay. We're going to take Ahmed Rosario. Flip him. Two other prospects. Flip him to Miami for JT Real Muto. JT Real Muto. What prospects are you talking about? Not Andres Jimenez. Like saying, okay, give, him, give him one pitcher. You because you have a bunch of the uh, you Peterson from last year. No. I'd say give him Peterson or Dunn because you. I give him Dunn. Give him one of I those guys. Dunn. Yeah, Dunn K. Um, what are, screw it. Put in McNeil too. Yeah, yeah, but give them three prospects. Two of them have to be good. You get JT Realmuto, and you have your best offensive catcher since Paul Duca. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's something I often tweet about. We there has not been a comp. Well, Mesoraco hasn't been absolutely terrible on offense, but we have not had a good. Well, I remember. How about first half of Rod Barajas? Oh, what yeah. year was that? Twenty twelve, I think, or eleven? Yeah. Rod Barajas, John Buck, another one. Oh, John Buck, yeah. Um, even Brian Schneider when he came over from Ramon, uh, the Nationals. Ramon Castro. Ramon Castro was a good backup <laughs> catcher, though. I will not take any slander from him. But yeah. you're right. Yes, yeah. Of yeah. They have not had a, gr- a good catcher for a long time, and a lot of these teams now are built to win by having good players up the middle. You improve it short. Oh, short oh another thing catcher. you talk about. Yeah. They don't value defense. Nope. They could give two you know what's about it because they care only about the, how many home runs you can get. Yeah, would amazing if they would have valued defense, maybe they would have beat Kansas City. But okay, okay, number six, we're going to go fix our bullpen. We're going to go sign an elite closer in free agency. You get, there's a lot of them out there. Who Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, take your pick. Bring Kelvin Herrera. Bring somebody in who's not Jerry. Are Smilia. you not scared of Andrew Miller's innings? I, burning I, out because I feel like a lot of I understand Miller. Miller is one of the best relievers I've seen, um, in general. Not yeah. even just recent years. I think I think uh, my whole life. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't worry you. I mean, no, just because I mean, like, I mean, if, considering the Mets' history, you could say sure because he probably could come here and get hurt because that's a lot. A lot of these guys do. <laughs> even Todd Frazier was never hurt before in his life. Yeah, is right. on the DL twice in one year. Strength and conditioning coaches stayed the same. I mean, they did fire Ray Ramirez. That's just training. I mean, their strength and conditioning coaches are still the same. Mike Marwis. And, and I don't know if you read up on um, there was this whole chronological order of stories all over the years about how the Wilpons were meddling. All oh, the good fun these medicals. Yes, yeah. the amazing piece that chronological everything about the Wilpons being control freaks, specifically Jeff Wilpon. And the injuries are still returned. This team isn't cursed. They have idiots running the franchise. But, you mean, again. You mean Dr. Jeff? Yeah, Dr. Jeff, you know, with all of his medical degrees <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, I've seen my, my partner on, on the other vlog, Metro Thomas, has brought this out a lot on Twitter. He's like, you, can't, you ever remember the TV commercial, Doctors America, where have all the actors, like, portraying, pretending to be real doctors? That's what Dr. Jeff is. Dr. Jeff. Oh, my. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest, like, story that always resonates with me with him was the Pedro one. Yeah, I remember that how he made Pedro pitch because they needed to sell tickets. And then what happened? Potentially cost them the series next year. Oh yeah, because we don't have. Sorry. Okay, and our last point on the seven for on the uh, seventh inning stretch here is we're gonna build our but we're not gonna sign a closer. We're gonna add an elite setup man, and we're gonna add a starting pitcher to give depth to the rotation. Okay. That can be either through free agency or trade. What are you be doing with Vargas because he's on the hook for another year? You know what? Just give him the Luis Castillo treatment, pay him the money, and say go bye bye. 
I yeah, I would do that right now. Like literally this week, I'd tell the take the rest of your money, just get the hell off of my team. Yeah, I mean they had a stuff. The article came out yesterday. It said that the analytics guys were in the front Mets front office said, you know, we don't want Vargas, and they signed him anyway. Mm, really, I did not see that one. Yeah. That- that gets me angry. Because was, last because last year, if you look at the second half numbers, he was he had like four wins in like a six no, and a half ERA. Well, yeah, it's not even it's not even that they were overvaluing his wins like crazy. Didn't he finish with above a four ERA? Yeah, because he was is the first half he was an all star on twelve and three. His ERA is like two and a half. Second half is his ERA is almost seven. Yeah, it's almost like you should judge someone off a full season instead of a nice half like Ubaldo Jimenez had that one yeah. year. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous. But like anyway, send Vargas bye bye. Bring in a veteran starter. Well, but who do you want? You want Bartolo back? No, I mean, no, I mean Bartolo I, I, shot. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying you trade for a guy. Oh, you want to trade for a guy? Yeah, that's what you. Okay. Use, that's what you sold extra chips we got in step one for. Okay, so you're saying you should just. So the whole premise of this is basically you can you we can the whole point of getting actually getting the better chips is that you can use some to, of them just to trade them for you. You sell them okay. to trade for stuff sure, you need because you wanna you wanna win next year. I mean, yeah, I mean. What about if you trade guys that are closer, that are more finished products than they are in the minor leagues, in the minor leaguers I'm talking about, instead of, like, guys when we traded for Syndergaard, he was still low A ball. Yeah, I mean, just giving yourself options. That, like, you know, like, if you have, like, three or four pitchers, and now you get five or six, you can easily trade off one of them like we did for Real Muto. Well, do you have, did you ever have – do you have a guy in mind that you would want to trade for as a starter, for a starter? I would think probably just talk to the Dodgers because they seem to have a million starting pitchers on their team. Just, like, get somebody who doesn't mm-hmm. fit at the end of the year. Like, like well, maybe Rich Hill. He has a year left on that contract. And the Dodgers Rich, make Hill, it. Rich Hill's pushing 40. He's a lot older than Yeah, he only has a year left, though. like – I get, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, you're going to have to get creative with the situations, but does it even matter if they won't even listen to the analytics team? Yeah, I mean, so let's think about this for a second. Let's let's say we sure. did all this. Sure. Okay, here's our lineup next year. You have Real Mudo catching, Dom or Alonzo at first pitch. Everyone performed better in the second half. Second base, you can play McNeil or TJ Rivera, based on whichever one TJ, has. TJ, I want TJ. Okay. Yeah, TJ should be back soon. Short, we have Machado. Third, we have Frazier. Okay. Our outfield is Cespedes, Conforto, and Nemo. And Nemo, Bruce, if he's still here, is going to bounce between first base and the outfield. He's going to be the half halftime guy. Okay. Then our starting rotation: you have Jake, Noah, Mats, Lugo, and say Rich Hill. Okay. And your bullpen: you have Cody Allen. We'll say David Robertson's a setup man. Okay. And you have Gaselman stuck with Swarzak, so you kind of hope he's there. Bring in a lefty and yeah. get it, and, and pick whichever two of the kids have performed well. Let's say two of Jacob Rain, Drew Smith, uh, Callahan, Bautista. Bautista, Tim Peterson, two of those guys to round it out. What about Dunn? Because I know maybe even if Dunn's ready, you could just bring him up in the bullpen, kind of like old Cardinal tradition that they used to. Unless, if you don't flip Dunn. Yeah, I, th- I think whichever one of those guys you two, I'd lead them in the rotation because you're probably going to need them next year when Hill and you let Hill go as a free agent. So. Gotcha. Doesn't that team sound a lot better than the team we have right now? Yeah, a lot of things sound better in theory with the Mets than they ever actually do. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, Manny Machado is literally one of the three guys that I just wish and knew we should have, but we'll never have. And it's and it's just and it's just depressing because you know, even as good and sound and logical of a plan as this is, you just think, how many of those things will they actually even do out of the seven? Not forget. forget Forget all seven, maybe t- maybe two or three, at best. So not like isn't that insane to you? And you know one of them's be trading the guys off. Yeah, and you're not even paid the big bucks for this. No, I mean this is this is basic logical thinking that 
most guys can come up with, but for some reason, there's this constant cycle that they're I, in the same position that they're in. Competitive yeah, I mean, for two to three years, and then rebuild for seven, for five. Yeah. Or so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I made, I made the argument. If you gave Mets Twitter the checkbook, they would actually do better than the guys running the Mets. Yeah, I mean, you can't do much worse than they have. I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I mean, like, what the hell? You can't, you can't constantly screw up. Forget about player development. Just even on the roster with just so many dumb, boneheaded decisions, plays, guys getting hurt for the dumbest reasons. Like Ike Davis like really stands out to me on how he got hurt. It's the dumb like the most met injury I could think of. Even Victor Zambrano at one point when he tore his hamstring, right? Yeah. And, yeah. There's there's way too many of those and we haven't even gotten to the manager yet, and that's a whole other argument. <laughs> I think we both know how we feel about Mickey because Mickey is not a the good biggest, fit. the biggest disappointment, actually, and that's saying a lot. Yeah, I, I the comparison I've been making lately is Art Howe. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I mean Art, Art Howe was really the last guy I really think that was that hyped up of a manager coming in for the Mets. I know Willie was a big deal because Willie was this winner with the Yankees yeah, and all that. No one and cared he, about Terry. No one cared about Terry because everyone knew they were that big. he was awful in Houston and L.A. with the Angels and Anaheim, and then he went to Japan or wherever the hell he was for however many years. And he was just a consummate loser wherever he went, kind of like Sandy. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, we know that a lot of this play involves spending money, so it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but if you, but the blueprint is there. Feel free to use it, Mets. I'm, not, I'm offering this to you free of charge. Take, it, take advantage of it. I want to see you guys do it. You don't even want tickets. I don't even want tickets. Maybe you, you don't want to go. Maybe follow me on Twitter if I if you if you do this, but you know, you know, it's the way to go. I think it's the best best way to fix this team without trading your pitchers. Yep. Before we go, before I let you go, can you give everybody a, a quick idea of how to follow you, what you've been working on, and what's the best way to follow on social media? Sure, sure. The best best thing to do is follow me on Twitter um, and at Martino Rosario three. Um, I don't know why it goes to three. I have this conversation all the time. There shouldn't be that many of them, but three. Uh, my last name is not Rosario, like Rosario the player, so don't be scared off by that. Um, <laughs> no lots, relation. Lots of, No relation. Lots of Mets stuff a lot of the time. Soccer. Soccer stuff, too. Uh, we do a bunch of soccer showdown stuff. I try and refrain from Mets every now and then, especially in a year like this, because I'm just going to explode. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's better for my health. If anybody wants to check out the soccer showdown, how do they do that? Um, they can well, they can go on multiple uh, areas. They get, there's multiple YouTube pages. North Avenue Nation is one of them that we have throughout the school year uh, here at Iona College, and then um, you can go to Fan FNTSY Sports Network. It's Fantasy Network. They picked up all of our World Cup videos. Thank God. So we've been doing really well with that. We got sixty thousand hits on argentina croatia game and um Damn, keep that's impressive. On, yeah it was mm -hmm. it, we went pretty well with that um so we also have other ones for the previews for both semifinal games if you are more interested in an in-depth video on that you can go check that out there that should be uploaded um well whenever this will come out this will be it should be there by tuesday morning yeah roughly so, tuesday morning should morning. be out I'm hoping to get this out before the semifinals uh, kick off tomorrow. Okay, well, they, they will be up before the semifinals if you want to check those out. And then we will have previews and recaps for the semifinals and the final. So. All right, Martino, thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Mike. Loved it. All right, that was Martino Puccio, host of the Soccer Showdown on Fantasy Sports Network. Stay tuned for our two-minute drill where I'm going to talk about the idea of the whole every team needs a representative at the All-Star game is the stupidest thing baseball has done in the 21st century. Agreed. Okay, it's coming up right after this.
and we're back with a two-minute drill. The All-Star Game rosters were revealed last night, and as usual, the talk was all about who didn't make it as opposed to who did. How does Blake Snell, who leads the American League with a 2.09 ERA and has 12 wins for an average Tampa Bay Rays team, miss out? How about Trey Turner, who was batting 278 with 11 homers, 37 RBIs, and 22 stolen bases not making the NL team? There are way too many of these snubs every year, and the process of picking the All-Star teams is flawed. Normally, a lot of people blame the fan voting. That's not the case this year. The fans did a really good job picking out the teams. Part of the problem is laziness from the players, who vote for the reserves and pitchers. A lot of the players vote on reputation or simple counting stats to have who the best players are this season. How else do you explain Salvador Perez and his 255 batting average making the AL roster as the backup catcher? Chris Archer even called the players out on Twitter, saying they have to do a better job studying who they want to represent them at the All-Star game. I agree with Archer that the players need to do better, but a lot of the problem is the dopey rule that requires every team have a representative at the All-Star game. Now, the rule made a lot more sense when there were only 26 teams, but in the era of 30 teams, it feels a lot more like giving out participation trophies to underachieving teams. Do you really think any Detroit Tigers fans are turning on the All-Star game to watch Joe Jimenez pitch an inning? Are the Blue Jays fans going to turn in to see if J.A. Happ is 4.44 ERA pitch an inning? Having a player from every team doesn't move the ratings needle, and Rod's players like Snell, who should be on the roster. Even the NFL, with its huge rosters for the Pro Bowl, which no one cares about, by the way, but that's a whole other discussion, doesn't require every team to have a player of the game. Now, I'm not heartless. I think the one exception to the rule should be for whichever team hosts the All-Star game. Like the World Cup or the Olympics, if you host, you get to have at least one guy take part in the competition. If the Major League Baseball is that concerned about having every team represented at the game, there are more creative ways to do that. Why not expand All-Star Monday beyond just the home run derby and have some skills competitions where you can showcase players and teams that don't have All-Star refs? You could put some players in that legend celebrity softball game that ESPN pre-tapes every year and try and draw some industry less watched events. Then on Tuesday night, those reps stay on the baseline with the other All-Stars, tip their caps to the crowd, and don't keep a worthy player sitting at home for no reason. The All-Star game is supposed to be a showcase of the game's best talent. I'm sorry, Joe Jimenez and J.A. Happ are not part of the game's best talent this year. All-Stars are supposed to be the best of the best. Not some of the best and some above average guys from teams that are burying the standings. It's the 21st century. And baseball needs to adapt this to the times if they want the All-Star game to stay relevant. And that will do it for today's show. I want to thank my guest, Martino, Martino Puccio, for coming on the podcast, chat all about the World Cup and our plan to fix the vets. If you want more good content like this podcast, be sure to check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. Feel free to tweet me with the hashtag Dr. Jeff if you made it to the end of this of the show. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the podcast. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Brazilian soccer fans.